0: It's great to see you here tonight. Um, if I haven't met you, my name's Ed, and uh, we get to read the Bible together tonight. If you'd like to keep your Bible open to Song of Songs 5, if you haven't got a Bible, it's, you're always welcome to have one. There's three spots around the room, and if you haven't got a Bible at home, you can take one for free. We'd love you to read it, take it, enjoy it. All right, so we're in our third talk in song of songs. Uh, as David mentioned, we'll do some questions at the end. Uh, and uh, tonight, we've got a different topic. And so I'm going to start off with a little bit of an interesting question, which is this. Do you like your love songs, sunny or gloomy? Do you like your love songs, sunny or gloomy? Let me read you some sunny ones. You're here, there's nothing I fear, and I know that my heart will go on. We'll stay forever this way. You're safe in my heart, and my heart will go on and on. Now, I know some of you got vomit in the back of your throat right now. (laughs) We've all been there. Sunny or gloomy? Sunny. Okay, good. That was an easy one, right? Okay. So, hello from the other side. I'm not even going to go on. Sunny or gloomy? Very gloomy. Yeah. What about this one? When I see your face, there's not a thing I would change, because you're amazing just the way you are. Please don't sing, Alex. And I don't know what to do, because I'll never be with you. That's not Sunny. That's James Blunt. He is gloomy and very That's that song you you're beautiful. So which do you prefer? I've been through both stages in my life, the sunny stage and the gloomy stage. I think it says something about your personality, which one you're preferring tonight. And also probably reflects a little bit where you, what your life's like right now, whether it's sunny or gloomy. So we're in the Song of Songs. Song of Songs, greatest love story ever written. Greatest love song ever written. And in the Song of Songs, we've actually got sunny songs and we've got gloomy songs. Now, if the book was a fairy tale, It would have stopped last week, chapter 5, verse 1. Because we left our couple in deep affection and alignment. Perfection. But tonight, we read about deep pain and sadness and disconnection and frustration. And this book of the Bible, it's not idealistic. It's not saying that everything always has to be sunny. It is God's wisdom for good relationships in the real world. So we're going to journey with our couple tonight through a hard time. And So point number one, the pain we all fear. The theme song I've chosen is Ain't No Sunshine When You're Gone. If you don't know that song, look it up on Spotify. Chapter 5, verse 2. Have a read with me. Let's go. I was sleeping, but my heart was awake. A sound, my love was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is drenched with dew, my hair with droplets of the night. What we've got here in chapter 5 is either a dream or a very concrete memory of a time of disconnection between our lovers. The man, he's outside. It's just before dawn and he's covered with dew. It's like he's been away for seven days, caring for his flock of sheep, and he's come back home. And he wants to come in. He wants to have what he had last week. And so he uses his beautiful words that have worked so far. My dove, my flawless one. Of course she will let him in. Verse 3. I've taken off my clothing. How can I put it back on? I've washed my feet. How can I get them dirty? She hears his voice, but is resistant. She's tucked up in a warm bed. She's got her hoodie on. She's washed her feet. She's had her chamomile tea. She has absolutely no intention of getting out of bed. And we're not told why, are we? We're not told if they've had a date night and it was a total dud, like staring opposite each other a birdie and it's like, this has got to end real quick. We don't know if he's been away for seven days and went to the Robin Hood on the way home and then has now come home. We actually don't know if it had anything to do with him at all. It might have been she had a hard day at work. Might have been the kids have been hard. She might actually just not feel well. Relationships can disconnect in many ways. We see in verse 4, he perseveres. He knocks really loud. He uh, waves through the window. He puts a note under the door. And those actions make her feelings get strong. They're aroused. And they compel her to get out of bed. In verse 6, I opened the door to my love. But my love had turned and gone away. My heart sank because he had left. I sought him but did not find him. I called him but he did not answer. It's too late. It's too late. We've just gone from a moment where they are intimate and they're connected and now they are disconnected and distant. And we all know it, don't we? You say something and it's out of your mouth and you know, "Uh uh-oh, and the relationship suddenly disconnects. Or you say you'll do something and you forget and the relationship disconnects. Or you're frustrated or you're sad and the relationship just... Well, this couple here, they're like two ships passing in the night in the same ocean. And we see in verse 6 that disconnection is very painful. Her heart sank. Because when you're disconnected, you get pain and fear and regret and it kind of sits on your heart like a rock and then your head, it just spins with thoughts and scenarios, what I should have done, what I shouldn't have done. But she doesn't give up. She fights. Theme song, I Would Walk 500 Miles by The Proclaimers. She searches for him and the picture is she searches through him through the dark streets. It's like three o'clock in the morning and there is a woman scantily clothed with a nightie looking for her lover and she's vulnerable and the watchman like the policemen who should be caring for her, they beat her up. They steal her cloak. Maybe this causes the search to end. She comes back to her girlfriends and pleads for help. Verse eight, young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, If you find my love, tell him that I am lovesick. The song is realistic. In a Genesis 3 world, there's tension. That is normal. We've got tension between us and God. We have tension with our planet, thus climate change, and we have tension with each other. There are married couples who lose connection emotionally and physically and the bedroom becomes a place of alienation. You've had friendships, I'm sure, who used to be great friends and now you do not talk to each other. There are parents in our church who now no longer talk to a child of theirs. There's the boss at work you cannot be in the presence of. There may be brothers and sisters here at 6.30 who you've got a conflict over And you will not talk to them. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're just all sunshine songs. Well, the Song of Songs says this. The storms are coming. Relationships will misfire in your life. And if you're married or want to be married, every marriage disappoints. Every marriage has disconnection. You will be frustrated by people. You'll be hurt by people, worried by people, disappointed by people. Why does this happen? Why do relationships disconnect and disappoint? Lots of reasons, aren't they? We're all a little bit different. You're wired your way, I'm wired my way, which means we wake up in the morning, we expect everyone to think and feel exactly the same as us, and we then get surprised when they don't. And that causes disconnection because we don't understand each other. Secondly, we've got a whole bunch of baggage. Some of us have got lots and lots of baggage. And we bring that baggage into relationships. You might have baggage from just a really hard home life. You might have baggage from just a relationship that went totally pear-shaped and it hurts still. And you bring that into your friendships and your relationships now. And it impacts it. And what the Bible says is the source at the deepest level of all relationship tension, whether it's on the footy field or at work or at school, is our distorted desires and wants. Have a look at this verse from James. James says this, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and wage war. What's James saying there? He's saying here that when we reject God and we reject his word, we sin. And that sin... Impacts our relationships. And so with God, we experience distance from God. We can't see Him. We're out of the garden because of our sin. But that sin impacts you at the core of your being so that you think and feel and act infected by sin. And what that means is you and me, we do relationships with selfish desires, with arrogant desires. And with jealous desires. We need to be really honest with ourselves. We all are capable of causing relationship troubles. And so point two, the love we all crave. The woman's girlfriends, they've got a solution for her. See it there in verse nine? What makes the one you love better than the other? Most beautiful of woman. What makes him better than another that you would give us this charge? It's like we're back at school. The boy has annoyed the girl. The girl's going to this clump that you must not enter. She cries and they all say he's not worth it. There are plenty of other fellas out there. There are more fish in the sea. What is special about that one? And this woman in the Song of Songs says, I won't have a bar of that. And then she tells us how wonderful he is. Theme song, You're Simply the Best by Tina Turner. Verse 10, my love is fit and strong, notable among 10,000. This is the only time in the book she describes him. He describes her three times, she gets one chance. And we don't get a visual representation of the bloke here. If you took these verses down to the cops later tonight and you said, I got a missing person, this is what he's like, they'll look at you, laugh at you, because you haven't got enough information. Because this is poetry. And the goal of the poetry is not to convey what he looks like, but what she knows about him. What does she know? She knows that he is not one of many. He's one in a million. And he has a face that tells a story, verses 11 to 13. He has hair of a young man. He has sensitive and gentle eyes. He has affectionate lips. In verse 15 and 16, he has a mouth that is sweet, which means out of his mouth comes kind, life-giving words. And then she describes his body as solid and dependable. He's made of very sturdy materials, an ivory chest, bronze thighs, iron legs. He is like a majestic Lebanon cedar tree. And he's gold from head to toe. His thinking is gold. His arms, his doing is gold. His foundations are gold. He is so different to that statue in Daniel 2 with a gold head that gets progressively more brittle. She says to her friends, if you think I'm going to give up on this guy, you are wrong. He is incredibly steadfast and reliable. He is consistent and impressive. He's a mix of The Rock, Colin Firth, and Captain America. And verse 17, he, she says, This man is my friend. I trust him as I've got to know him. Her girlfriends could have said, get real. They don't. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. We will seek him with you. And then instantly, or after a little while, we don't know, it's poetry, the lovers reconnect. Look at verse 2. My love has gone down to his garden, to the bed of spice, to feed in the garden and gather lilies. I am my loves and my loves is mine. He feeds among the lilies. The couple are back in the garden. The garden in the song is the place of intimacy and safety and of connection. They've worked through their tension. They've worked through their fear. They've worked through their miscommunication. And what it's done, it's grown their friendship. It's grown their relationship. And how did it happen? The woman embraced wisdom. How did she do it? Did you notice the change of focus? She went from looking internally where the chaos of worry and anxiety was kind of churning and churning. And her friend's question lifted her chin and she looked outward and saw him. And then she spoke truth to herself and to others. She spoke truth about his character, truth about their love. And do you know what truth does? Truth calms your heart. Truth realigns your desires. Truth opens the door to reconciliation and reconnection. And so point three, the fight we are all in. How are we going to deal with relationship tension at church at 6.30? How are, we going to, how are we going to work through the fact that we are not always going to connect? We are going to disconnect. We're going to have conflict and tension and misunderstanding. Well, we could just embrace sunny songs. We could just say, we just come along and say, she'll be right. It's all water under the bridge. I'll just try better next time. We could just kind of believe we'll be better. The problem with sunny songs is they're lovely, aren't they? They're naive and they lead to disappointment. The alternative is that we could embrace gloomy songs. We as a community could say relationships are too risky. I'm not going to share at growth group. I'm not going to share with anyone. I'm just going to keep myself nice and safe. I'm going to retreat into my cave and I'm going to make sure no one hurts me. C.S. Lewis says this. There's no safe investment to love at all Is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, naivety, avoidance. The Bible gives a better way. Because the Bible says our relationship tensions, our disconnection, they have a sin source. So if we want better relationships, we need to deal with that first. The path to better relationships is through a fixed and growing relationship with God. And you know what the great news of the gospel is? God fights for that relationship with you. And he does so through a great lover. Whose shadow we see in Song of Songs Five. You know that man she describes? He's superhuman. Every single bloke at church at 6:30 is feeling inadequate right now. Because he's incomparable. No one's comparable. Actually, there's one. The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the ultimate lover. The Lord Jesus. The one you are married to is gold from head to toe. The one that put the ring on your finger last week and says, I love you, he's magnificent. He is generous. He is kind. He is the eternal temple, the place you meet with God intimately. He is a passionate fighter. He never rests until every single one of his sheep is found. He is utterly reliable. Hebrews 13.5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And the Lord Jesus loves you and he wants a relationship with you so much that he gave his life for you. He says this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You know that cross at Easter? On the cross, Jesus took your pain and he took your lostness and he took your sin and he took it on himself so you could be reconciled to God. Anything that separates you and God has been forgiven, wiped clean. And that which distorts your desires, making you selfish and arrogant and blind, God is inside you right now, making it clean. He is sanctifying you day after day after day. And the Lord Jesus, the great lover, invites anyone who is weary and burdened by life by sin, to come to him and yoke themselves to him, to bond themselves to him, and they will find rest and eternal life. Please don't think that relationship will be perfect because there will remain a temporary physical distance between us and God till heaven. And until heaven, we will be part of a spiritual battle that is won But it's still happening. And so you may not and cannot just put your feet back and say, she'll be right. No, no. You need to fight for your relationship with God through prayer and truth. I hear often youth or teenagers say this, I feel distant from Jesus. I don't feel what I felt at kick. Maybe he's lost interest in me. What do we do? We speak truth into our lives. We remind ourselves he never plays games. He never gives me the silent treatment. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. We all stuff it, don't we? Some of you might have heard the, the talk on God's design for sex last Sunday and have stuffed it this week. And you're probably sitting here saying, I cannot be a Christian. I've stuffed it. I've stuffed my relationship with God. You know what he says? Speak truth into your life. Jesus Christ forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Some of you are sitting here tonight thinking Jesus withholds good things from you. You want a boyfriend? He won't give it to you. You want a girlfriend? He won't give it to you. You want a new job? You want a new son? Dot, dot, dot. And you're thinking... This Christian stuff is not for me because Jesus holds back on me. Speak truth into your life. Jesus doesn't play games. He's asking you to walk the journey with him. Our God has fought for a relationship with you and we fight for our relationship with him and he enables us and empowers us to have fighting, sorry, to fight for better human relationships with each other. And we do that by living out the gospel. And here are three things for tonight. Number one, if you want to live out the gospel with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your parents or your school friends, here's the step one. Number one, deal with yourself first. I want you to know this is the most most important thing I'd like you to hear tonight because it'll change your life. Most of your relationship tension and problems and fights in your future will come when you start listing all the problems the other person does. We are very good at being convicted of other people's sin. We say things, do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? I can't believe what they did. I can't believe what they said. Look at what they did. Do you know what the gospel does? It turns the focus back on you. Look at 1 Timothy. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. Paul is not saying he is objectively the worst sinner in the world. He's not saying he's more sinful than Hitler or add your worst person. What he's saying is this. That if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does from the moment you become a Christian is He shows you your blind spots. And as He shows you your blind spots, you see your own sin. You see it in your thoughts, and you see it in your desires, and you see it in your actions, and you see it really clearly. And once that happens, For Paul, he could not imagine anyone more messed up than him. And for those of you who are Christian, as Jesus does that, you can never imagine anyone as messed up as you because you are seeing what God sees, not what you present on Instagram, what the Lord sees. And then you cannot imagine how much God did to forgive you. That's the posture of Christian relationships. The sin I am most concerned with is my own. The sin I will go to war with is not that person's sin, but my sin. And so I relate to the other person as an honest, forgiven sinner. Secondly, we stop and thank God for them. I love how she learnt wisdom. God helped her turn her focus from her inward turmoil to see the other person. And as she does that, she gives thanks for him. Do you know that in any relationship, if you're able to stop, turn to God and thank God for them, you can change the trajectory of the relationship from disconnection to connection. Now, I understand that that may be impossible for some of you and actually may be inappropriate for some of you. But can we just deal with the 99%? Because 99% of the time, choosing to specifically thank God for them, in particular that they are made in God's image, handmade by God. If you can thank God for them, It'll change your attitude towards them. They will no longer be an enemy. They are a creature made by God and that may provide the potential for connection and listening and reconciliation. Thirdly, we practice the self-giving love of the great lover. I want you to know that Jesus never calls you to do anything That he hasn't done for you. And he loves you. Even though you are unlovely. He loves you. Even when you fail. And that abundant undeserved love. Is the fuel for you to love someone else. All he wants you to do is let the cup that is full of his love just drip over into your dating relationship. Just drip over into your Christian friendships. Just drip over into your marriage because all you are doing is you're overflowing his abundant, undeserved love in patience and kindness and forgiveness to others. That's why as Christians, we can love another Christian at 6.30 even if they're an un- non-easy person, right? It's why parents can love kids who are not easy and kids can love their parents even if they're not easy. It's why a nurse can love a patient who's not easy. A teacher can love a child who's not easy. A warehouse worker can love a warehouse fellow worker if they're not easy. It's why a year 10 student can love another year 10 student if they're not easy. Why? Because... We are overflowing the self-giving love of Jesus. He fought for us so much. That's what drives us to fight for relationships. It's what helps us turn to other people with grace. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are the great healer. You healed our relationship with you by sending your mighty son the ultimate lover, the great Jesus, to die on a cross. Oh, how wonderfully blessed we are. May that overflow into our relationships with each other. May we learn to forgive and have patience and kindness, to say kind words as we live out the gospel to one another. We know it's hard, but we know, we know you're with us, Lord, so please help us. In Jesus' name.